If you would, please, would you turn uh, in your Bibles to Matthew 10, verse 40. Matthew 10, verse 40. <clears throat> After celebrating our Savior's birth, we return today to our expositional study in Matthew's Gospel. And as we return to where we left off, allow me to remind you that Matthew's Gospel records five discourses delivered by Jesus. And by discourse, we mean an extended teaching where Jesus delivers an uninterrupted speech, a discourse. We have completed our study of Jesus' first discourse, which we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. That was back in chapter 5. Here in chapter 10, we are about to finish Jesus' second discourse, which is referred to as the missionary discourse. In it, Jesus instructs his 12 disciples how they are to conduct themselves and what they are to expect as Jesus sends them out to proclaim his kingdom message. Because it's been a while since we were here in Matthew 10, Let's do a quick review of some of the key statements in the missionary discourse. If we look at Matthew 10, verse 7, as Jesus sends out his 12, he says this, Matthew 10, verse 7, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, of course, that was not all they were to say. It was instead a launching point to share the gospel. And what this introduction does is to emphasize the urgency of their message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The meaning of this phrase is somewhat mysterious, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but essentially it means that the kingdom of God is so close, it's already here. And the reason the kingdom of God is here is because the king has arrived. The king, of course, is the messianic king, Jesus of Nazareth. And this king has now come to bring salvation through the forgiveness of sin. As Jesus sent his disciples out with his kingdom invitation, he also warned the twelve that their mission would be a difficult one. As they go proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, they should expect one of two responses. Some will receive them and their message, but most will not receive them or their message. And this twin response is outlined at verse 12. We could look there. At verse 12, Jesus says this, And when you go into a household, 
greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, that is the words of the gospel, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. The passage that we will examine today, starting at verse 40, will closely echo these verses from 12 and following. And we'll see how that is in just a moment. But for now, let's also recall that as Jesus instructs his disciples about those who will refuse the gospel, he also cautions them to proceed with with, um, a certain level of caution because they can expect violence and persecution. Look, please, at verse 16. At 16, Jesus said this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you, that is, with whips, in their synagogues. And then, if we skip to verse 21, Jesus warned his disciples that they should not only expect violence, but even the possibility of losing their lives. At 21, Jesus says, Brother will deliver up brother to death. But while much of the focus of this missionary discourse is focused on hostility and persecution, the final passage of the discourse takes a decidedly more positive turn. And that is because while most will reject the gospel, there will be some, a remnant, who will receive Christ's disciples and, more importantly, receive their gospel message. And for those who do receive the gospel message, Jesus has good news, the promise of a reward. And what I wish to demonstrate this morning is that this reward refers to eternal life. Let's go, please, to verse 40 as we pick up the text where we left off. And at verse 40, Jesus says this, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. The point here is profound. And this verse applies to all who carry and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just to the twelve, but to all believers, including, of course, believers today. The way we are treated is a reflection on how that person is treating Jesus himself. That is profound. To understand how profound and significant this saying is, we need to bear in mind a key principle of international diplomacy. When the head of state, such as a king, sends out his ambassadors, those ambassadors are representatives of the king. And wherever the ambassador goes, 
it is as if the king himself is standing there. And so when Jesus says, he who receives you receives me, he means that when we carry Christ's message, when we are his ambassadors carrying his message and someone welcomes us, it is the same as if they are welcoming Jesus himself. The Apostle Paul uses the same terminology of diplomacy when he says this at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And therefore, Paul says, we implore others to be reconciled to God. As the ambassadors of Christ, we seek to bring others to Christ so that they too can have the peace, the reconciliation with God that we have already received. As we bring the message of Christ, some will receive us, they will welcome us in, and the effect will be as if they are receiving Christ himself. But let's also recognize there's another step in this chain of authority. When others receive us and our gospel message, they not only receive Christ, they receive the one who sent him, meaning God the Father. Clearly, the reception that is given to one of Jesus' disciples is extremely important. And because it is so important, let's think further about what Jesus means when he speaks of other people receiving you. In order to help us understand what Jesus means, let's revisit that passage that began back at verse 11. I'm sorry, at verse 12. And that is because the passage we are considering today is an echo of these verses. Now, whatever city, I'm sorry, we're at 11. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Well, let's remember that Jesus is sending out his, his disciples to proclaim the kingdom message. And as the disciples go out to evangelize the cities and towns there is certainly an aspect of Christ's representatives receiving hospitality, food, shelter. But the larger and more important point that Jesus is making is that as people receive his disciples into their homes, they do so because they are also receiving the message of Jesus Christ, his gospel. 
The reason I am suggesting that the focus is on the reception of the gospel message is because of what is said at verse 13. Jesus says at verse 13, if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Now let's bear in mind, Jesus did not empower his apostles nor us, to invite others to receive a temporary peace. One of the things we've emphasized during the Christmas season was through, our, through Scripture is that God did not bring a temporary peace. That's the stuff of the world. The kind of peace that God brings through Christ is a permanent, eternal peace. The peace that Jesus brings and is carried by his blessed peacemakers, that's an everlasting peace. Because that is peace with God. That is the reconciliation that is done for us through Christ's sacrifice. Allow me to remind you of another important point that was made when we previously studied these verses, especially at verse 13. When Jesus speaks of a household being worthy, we need to be careful not to misunderstand his meaning. That is because no one is worthy of the gospel. It is not the case that some deserve to hear the gospel while others are too wretched to hear the gospel. No one's worthy of the gospel. You see, the gospel is a gospel of grace at every step along the way. And so the best way to understand this word worthy is that Jesus is describing those who are receptive to the gospel. And the reason I say that is because what immediately follows in verse 13. Look there. Jesus says, if the household is, what's the next word? Receptive. If the household is receptive to the disciple, but more importantly, receptive to the gospel, then let your peace come upon it. Once again, we're talking about God's peace. That doesn't come because somebody gave you a loaf of bread, because you've opened your heart to the truth of the gospel. Then you receive God's peace. At verse 14, what I meant is at 13, you can understand 13 if the household is receptive. At verse 14 is what I meant. At verse 14, it says, and whoever will not receive you. I made an error there, and I apologize. At verse 13, it says, if the household is worthy, and I I meant to say, if We can understand it to say, if the household is receptive, let your peace come upon it. And the reason I'm suggesting that understanding of the word is because of what appears at 14. Now I got it. At 14 it says, and whoever will not receive, there's the word I was looking for, 14. And whoever will not receive you, notice, you, or Hear your words. So that's why I'm suggesting that we understand worthy in the sense of 
receptive. Because here at 14, Jesus describes the negative condition. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Conversely, for those who receive Christ's apostles and receive their words, the gospel message, they would receive peace, the blessing of peace, the peace of God. And so if we return to 40, we can hear once again Jesus speaking about this path of peace. At verse 40, Jesus says, He who receives you receives me. Now, there is an aspect of hospitality being described here, but what is most important is that when others receive our message, then they will receive Christ the King. And as people receive Christ into their lives and hearts, we know that there will be a blessing, and Jesus will talk to us about that reward momentarily. And that is what leads us to the remainder of this passage. And in the remainder of the passage, Jesus gives us three examples that describe the positive reception of his ambassadors and their gospel message. And as he does and refers to his disciples, and this includes us, he will refer to his disciples with three terms, a prophet, the righteous, and little one. And we'll explain that. We'll examine each term, but I will say in advance, these are not three distinct categories or offices. They are instead synonyms. Each of these three words describes believers in general. Let's look at verse 41 and following. I'll read the remainder of the passage, and then we'll circle back and take it a little at a time. 41, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means uh, lose his reward. I understand that there's a couple of other different translations depending on what Bible you have, but that'll be made clear shortly. But it'll be, it's, it should be immediately apparent that in addition to figuring out the significance of these three terms, prophet, righteous, and little ones, we'll also have to figure out what Jesus means about the promise of this reward. But this much we can quickly deduce. Whatever this reward is, the believer already has it. And therefore, whoever receives our gospel message and receives Christ, they too will receive the reward that we've already received. But let's circle back and have a closer look at verse 41. And let's examine the first of three statements. At 41, Jesus says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. 
The King James, which we use in our uh, pews, is correct when it gives a literal translation of the Greek, when it speaks of a prophet coming in the name of a prophet. But that's a bit difficult for us because this phrase, a prophet in the name of a prophet, is a Hebraism. And what that means is Jesus is using an idiom, a figure of speech that was common among the Jewish culture. But some other translations will help our understanding and simplify the matter. The NIV, for example, renders it this way. He who receives a prophet because he is a prophet. And so the meaning is actually quite simple. Those who receive a prophet do so because they recognize that person is indeed a prophet and therefore is sent by God, is a representative of God, an ambassador of Christ. And listen, when someone recognizes us as a representative of God, they recognize that our words carry authority, power and authority. Because they're not our words. These are words that were given to us by God through the Scripture. Now, as we think of this designation of a prophet, there's an important point we've got to keep in mind. When the Bible speaks of a prophet, it is used in two different ways. One way is when the prophet serves as a foreteller, speaking about the future. The other way is when a prophet serves as a forth-teller, proclaiming some truth. We usually think of a prophet as someone who foretells the future, somebody like Isaiah, who told in advance details about the coming Messiah. But what is in view here in chapter 10 is believers serving as forth tellers. In this sense, a prophet is a professor. It's the, the words are related. A prophet or professor is someone who speaks forth the truth that has been revealed to us by Scripture. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been given to us, and now we are to go forth and we are to speak forth the truth of Christ's gospel. And allow me to emphasize once again, all believers are authorized by God to serve as his prophets, to serve as his professors. Peter said to us when he was speaking to believers, he said, you are a royal priesthood. The moment you believe in Christ, you are qualified to tell others about the way to heaven. It is through Christ alone. And for those who receive us and our message, Jesus has a powerful promise. Those who receive us as a prophet and therefore receive our God-given message will receive a prophet's reward. So let's explore now what Jesus means when he speaks of a reward. And in this first example, 
It refers to a prophet's reward. Now, as we answer this question about reward, we'll need to do so in stages because we have to examine still two more ways that Jesus refers to believers. In addition to prophets, he's also going to speak of believers as the righteous and as little ones. And with each of the three designations or identifiers, he'll also speak of reward. So let's start with this. If a non-believing person receives a prophet and their gospel message, there is for that person a prophet's reward. Now what, again, is this reward? Well, right away, we know what it cannot mean. It cannot mean a financial reward. Receive somebody into their house. We have no financial reward to give. At least that's not what Jesus meant. How do we know that? Well, earlier in the missionary discourse, we will recall, actually is back in verse 9, where Jesus told his disciples as he was sending them out for their first missionary journey, they were to take no silver or gold for their money belt. They were to take no bread for their knapsack. And so, they had nothing to give in the sense of a financial reward for the hospitality they received. Silver or gold, they did not have. But what they had been given, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would give away freely. And they had a reward to give. And it's identified for us. Let's look again at verse 13. If the household is worthy, I suggested that we understand that as receptive, if the household is receptive to the gospel, let your peace come upon it. And As we said, that's God's peace. The peace that God has given us, such that we are authorized then to share the gospel and give God's peace to others, We invite them to receive Christ so they can know the peace that we have. And so, when Jesus says, he who receives a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, it means those who receive us and our gospel message, they will receive the peace that we have already received. Let's go, please, to the second half of verse 21 as Jesus gives us a related Example, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, meaning he who receives a righteous man because they recognize them as a righteous man, well, that person will receive a righteous man's reward. So the first question we've got to ask is this. Who does Jesus have in mind when he speaks? of a righteous man. And although Jesus speaks of a righteous man, we have every reason to believe that he also means for us to understand a righteous woman as well. The reason I say that is because all believers are authorized by God to go forth and speak forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, of the three terms that Jesus will use to identify believers, this one should be the most apparent to us 
because of our knowledge of what Scripture says about righteousness. And the clearest statement about this topic comes from Paul in Romans 3. In Romans 3, it says this, There is no one who is righteous, not even one, save for Christ himself. And so there is no one righteous. There is no one who has sufficient righteousness, has no standing according to God's law that would allow us to earn our way into heaven or to impress God such that he would be obligated to let us in. In fact, in our natural fallen state, not only do we lack righteousness, we have upon us the stain of sin that prevents us from entering heaven, of prevents us from even coming near the gate of heaven. But God made a way to, ter- to remedy this terrible situation. The Bible says that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, God's own righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, is credited to our account. Don't take my word for it. Listen to this from Scripture. This from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin. Who's that? Christ. God made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when we believe in Christ, his righteousness, his perfect righteousness, is credited to our account. The righteous man or woman... Therefore, as someone who has received Christ as Lord and Savior. And so when we proclaim Christ and people receive us, and more importantly, receive the gospel message, they too will receive Christ's righteousness and the reward of eternal, uh, the reward of righteousness that Christ himself gives us is eternal life. And it comes not through anything we do, but through faith. It comes through belief, right? You know John 3.16, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's go finally to verse 42, as Jesus now gives us the third example. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, meaning gives him a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. The first point we want to clarify is, what does Jesus mean by one of these little ones? Our first inclination may be to think, that Jesus is referring to children. But the identity of these little ones is clarified in the verse itself. Jesus says, He who gives one of these little ones a cup of water because they are a disciple. It says right there, right? The little ones are are disciples. But if Jesus means disciples... Why doesn't he just say disciples? Why does he refer to disciples 
as little ones? Well, there are a number of reasons, but we can highlight the most important. While Jesus is speaking to the twelve, it's obvious he's not really talking to children. He's talking to adults. He's talking to his twelve apostles. But at the same time, he is talking about children because they and all who put their faith in Christ are the children of God. As the Apostle John says in the first chapter of his gospel, to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Let me point out, just for special emphasis, notice, to those who received him, the key word for us today, To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And so there is a sense that all of Christ's disciples are little ones because we are God's children. But in the context of the missionary discourse as a whole, it is likely that Jesus has a more specific meaning in mind when he refers to his disciples as little ones. I suggest that part of the reason that he refers to his disciples as little ones is because Jesus recognized he's sending his children out into a hostile world. Remember, he said in 16, I am sending you out like sheep amidst the wolves. And because Jesus is sending us out into a hostile world, a world that is bent on persecuting his followers. God's children, if they are true to our call to proclaim his gospel, we are likely to see hardship and deprivation. Therefore, those who receive Christ's little ones and their message, there is for them a reward. For those who shun Christ's little ones, the children of God, no reward. But for those who embrace, who receive the disciples and their message, there is a reward. But it is important that we understand something about what motivates this hospitality. This is key. This act of kindness, here described as offering a cup of cold water, That's not for the sake of the missionary. That's for the sake of Christ. Right? The person is offering that person, the the disciple, a cup of cold water, but that person is an ambassador. They're a representative of Christ. And so when they hand that missionary that cup of cold water, that's not for the missionary, that's for Jesus. So it's not a matter of what is being given, but the heart from which it's coming. You see, there are people who uh, can give a million dollars to some missionary endeavor, but if they don't know Christ, if they're doing it because they want to feel good about themselves, there's no reward in that. No eternal reward. Might be a tax write-off, but that's a worldly reward. There's no eternal reward in that. It has to come from the heart. And there's something as simple as a cup of cold water, which really is of no value 
It requires very little effort to fetch a cold water to give it to a disciple. But it can have eternal implications. Jesus is talking about just a simple cup of cold water. As ambassadors of Christ, we have no reason to expect a state dinner, not steak dinner, state dinner at the White House or at the palace. All that, even something as simple as a cup of water can have eternal ramifications if it comes from the heart. Now, it doesn't mean much in terms of effort or value, but think of how meaningful it is and what it represents. On a physical level, just talking about the 12 now, on a physical level, here are the 12 apostles. They are in a hot, dry climate. Even a single cup of water would have been a tremendous blessing to them, especially when there's every indication in the text that they may have gone to dozens of people and been rejected, sent away thirsty, but then somebody welcomes them in because they want to hear about Jesus. But more importantly is what it represents spiritually. Because from the perspective of the giver, there, from, the, from the perspective of the giver, there's an indication that the person has not just received the message, but they received Christ. That is why they want to bless Christ's ambassador. You see, when somebody blesses us, one of Christ's ambassadors, they're not doing it for us. They're doing it for Jesus. Let's recall a related teaching that Jesus gave us. He said, whatever you do for the least of these, you're doing it for me. See, now, we often think of that, and we ought to, about when we give uh, somebody who is um, uh, suffering, who is in need, when we give it to them, we tend to think, well, that we're doing that for Jesus, and we're right about that. But that also applies to us. When we bring the gospel message to the world and that person receives us and blesses us with something just as simple as a cup of water, they're doing that for Jesus, not for us. It says a lot about their heart. And we have to conclude that Jesus intends for us to understand that the one who received one of Christ's little ones, we have to understand that he also intends for us to understand they not only receive us in the terms of hospitality, but receive the gospel message. Why do we say that? Well, because once again, Jesus speaks of reward. The reward doesn't come from the cup of water. The reward comes because of the reception of the gospel. Look, please, at the end of verse 42. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now, here's a phrase that can be misunderstood and is sometimes misused. Because some mistakenly believe that this verse, if it's taken out of context, supports the idea that believers can lose their salvation. 
And this mistaken belief about losing one's salvation is held by some despite the fact that numerous passages make it abundantly clear that for believers, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we don't have time this morning to go into the doctrine of eternal security for believers, but let me say this one thing. And this concerns those who mistakenly say that it is possible to lose one's salvation. Listen, the only way you can believe that you can do something to lose your salvation is if you first believe that you have to do something to earn your salvation. And you cannot earn your salvation. The Bible is very clear about Salvation is by grace, through faith, and not by works. And so how do we understand this phrase? Why does Jesus say that for those who receive Christ, they shall by no means lose their reward? Well, scholars tell us this is another Hebraism, meaning it is a figure of speech used during Jesus' time to give extra emphasis to a point. When Jesus says, he shall by no means lose his reward, he does not mean to imply that there's a possibility of losing one's reward. Quite the contrary. The purpose of the statement is to emphasize the fact that those who put their faith in Christ shall by no means lose their reward. See, it's for emphasis. Notice how he begins that sentence. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. You see, he's talking about the blessed assurance of our reward, which is our eternal salvation for all who believe, who trust Christ and not themselves. But let's be absolutely sure that we understand why it is possible to gain a sure reward of heaven and eternal life. It is not because someone has given us a cup of cold water, nor because we give somebody else a cup of cold water or any other thing. You see, it's not about us giving or receiving water, physical water. It is instead all about receiving the water of life. And you know who that is. That is Jesus Christ. And Jesus said about himself, all who drink of this water, well, that water will spring up to eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, we thank you for your sacrifice that brought us forgiveness of sin and brought us the way to eternal life. And as we come, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts whom you will have us profess your gospel this week as we serve as the ambassadors of Christ. Amen.